Welcome to the ARPA Animal Shelter of the Week podcast, where we introduce you to incredible organizations around the country that are focused on helping animals. We're proud to be sponsored by Dubert.com. Dubert is a free website designed to connect volunteers with rescues and shelters, and the only site that automates rescue relay transport. Let's meet this week's featured animal shelter. The Dubuque Regional Humane Society has been around for more than a century, dating back to 1901. Their mission is to protect and promote the well-being of all animals by fostering respect for their inherent dignity. They are an open admission shelter and their focus is on humane education, providing community support, and ensuring that all animals are safe and find loving forever homes. Hey Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here to share about the Dubuque Regional Humane Society with you today. Yeah, we're definitely excited to, to hear a little bit more and, and see what you guys are doing and saving lives and, and helping your community. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the mission behind Dubuque Regional and, and uh, how you got started with them? Sure. So the mission of the Dubuque Regional Humane Society, which I'll re- just refer to as the DRHS from here on out, it's just simpler, <laughs> uh, is to protect and to promote the well-being of all animals by fostering respect for their inherent dignity. And the DRHS actually was founded back in 1901 uh, with the intent to protect the rights of animals, primarily horses, as well as children, which is quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. And then it evolved over the years and manifested in a variety of different ways, but still with that core of... um, you know, fostering respect for animals and protecting them. And then it really came into its own in the community around, uh, I would say, 1992 is when they really looked at um, the Humane Society having its own executive director and really focusing its efforts on our companion animals in the community. And since then, it's just really taken off, and we have become so much more than just an animal shelter. We're really looking um, to the future and being actualized in our community as an animal resource center that delivers upon our mission of protecting and promoting the well-being of the companion animals. Uh, And we're doing this by building lifelong bonds between pets and people through adoption, humane education, community outreach, and the prevention of cruelty. Wow, that's uh, quite the docket you guys have uh, going on. So you have your hands full. Um, and how did you how did you come to work with them? Tell us a little bit about your background, um, you know, what you do there, what your day-to-day looks like, uh, and then maybe let's get into some challenges that you guys have. Definitely. So I have a varied background, um, not quite your traditional path. <laughs> I have... Um, an education background in business and computer information systems, as well as a BFA in graphic design. And I'm currently working on my master's in public administration with a nonprofit uh, management concentration. So all of those have really come together to support me in my career in nonprofit. And I spent 10 years at a therapeutic horseback riding center in Colorado. Um, before transitioning here to the DRHS. And I was just really fortunate. I moved from Colorado back to Iowa to spend more time with my family and had a position at the Community Foundation working at um, 
helping solve population level problems. And that helped inform me as well when I moved to the DRHS and was just very honored to be selected to step in as their president and CEO in February of this year. Wow. So you definitely have a varied background, which, you know, all of the things that you mentioned, you know, they definitely seem to come together uh, in one. So it almost seems like this position was kind of made for you. It does. It just really plays um, to the strengths of being like analytical as well as creative and then looking at, um, you know, population problems and trying to come up with solutions for that. Uh, But instead of being human focused, it's animal focused. Yeah. So let's talk about that, right? So one of the things that, you know, I'm always curious about are the the different challenges that each organization has within their own respective community. So since your role, um, since you started your role in in March of this year, that's that's a fairly new role. And so can you tell us a little bit about the problems when you first started and, and where you're kind of currently at and, and maybe where you're going in the future. Tell the, tell the listeners a little bit about what that looks like in your community. Sure. So when I started in February, we had had a transition in leadership. So previously, two executive directors or presidents um, prior to me, that person had been there for 22 years. So very consistent in the delivery of the mission and engaged in the community. And then there was a transition to another president. And um, that person fulfilled that role for about four years. And then I stepped in. Um, There was about a six month gap between when that person left and when I started. And so really, when I started, it was reengaging the community, looking at all the processes and policies that we had in place and how to um, kind of revamp those and bring them back up to where they needed to be so that our community was really aware of all of the great work that we were doing and reengaging them and in their support. Um, So we also during that time period was which was is phenomenal in May of 2017, they transitioned to being a no-kill shelter. So operating as a no-kill open admissions shelter uh, is not just about the work of the DRHS, but it's also about the support of our community. And so we really needed our community to be backing that our mission and setting a precedence uh, to be a cooperative commitment to creating these pathways home and creating brighter futures for our tri-state area uh, for the animals at the DRHS. So achieving that no-kill status was huge, but then maintaining it also brings about its own challenges. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about that for a minute because, you know, one of the things that we want to do is is get the community to rally around you. And mm-hmm. so where, since you've started that, right, in what did you say, May of 2017 that started? So in, in May of 2017 is when they made the official um, proclamation, I'm going to say, to the community that they were operating as no-kill. They did transition to operating as no-kill or, or tried to embrace a lot of those no-kill um you know, interventions prior to that to just make sure that going no-kill was the right move for the shelter and the community, um, which I think was really smart to be able to test that out to see if it was going to be achievable and then maintainable. Sure. Um, so once they were able to test that out, then they made the proclamation of going to no-kill. Um, and then just as I mentioned before, going to no-kill is a huge success in itself, but then trying to maintain it 
um, from that point forward has its own set of challenges, which is, um, you know, there's no longer that inherent, I guess, uh, ability to kill for space so that you're always having to make uh, accommodations within the shelter to be 100% successful in placing and caring for those animals that are healthy, safe, you know, and treatable in the community. Sure. So I know one of the one of the challenges is also, you know, finding enough space for the animals, right, until Mm -hmm. their adoption. And so tell us a little bit about do you have a foster program and and how how does that play into the no kill um, for you guys? Do you have a foster program? Are you looking to grow your foster program? What are some of the challenges that you um, might encounter there? Sure. So as you mentioned, space is is really the limiting factor. And so they were actually really brilliant in how they built the new campus that we moved to in 2013. So there's a lot of flexibility in our um, capacity to be able to care for animals. So when our census is high, we're able to kind of consolidate down some of our structures to house two animals independently instead of one. And then when our census is lower, we're able to open up those enclosures to give one animal more space. So that helps us to be able to facilitate having a larger census of animals as with being no kill. And then we've also implemented additional programs like the foster program, which is just really critical to getting animals, especially that need um, maybe behavioral interventions or medical interventions or those uh, cats or dogs that have come into our care that are pregnant. And uh, it's nice to be able to have them be in a home environment for their pregnancy and their delivery and then be able to raise those um, kittens or puppies in a home environment where they get that extra TLC where they can grow and thrive before coming back to the shelter and um, being placed up for adoption. And so then we've also looked at other ways to increase connecting people and animals. So we uh, microchip all of our animals, um, cats and dogs, not our critters, <laughs> but um, sure. all of our cats and dogs in hopes that we're able to reunite them with their families faster. So if we're able to identify them, you know, that much sooner when they come to us and get them back to their families, then that cuts down at the time that they're in the shelter system, as well as, um, you know, taking up space that might need to be better utilized for strays that are coming in that do not have any identification on them. We also have our pet pantry, which offers uh, donated food and litter um, to our community members that might need additional support to keep their pets in their homes. So this has been a really great program for us. Um, We also offer a rehoming program. Um, So community members are able to call into us and get suggestions on how to rehome their animal if they're looking to place that animal Um, They're no longer able to keep it for some reason moving. You know, there's just so many other factors out there, but we have lots of tips and tricks that we can help them um, if they're having behavioral challenges or just uh, resources within the community to help place that animal without having to have it come into the shelter system. Um, We've also been growing our volunteer base to help care for the animals that are in the shelter so that, um, again, increases our capacity to be able to have the animals there and get still get quality, compassionate care. Um, we've also been researching and implementing new training interventions. So we've been looking at dogs playing for life, um, which is a great intervention to be able to have dogs that might not be very well socialized to learn how to 
to learn that socialization, which then increases their um, opportunities to be adopted so that they can go into like multi-dog families or they, we know that through the socialization program, they'll be uh, better adjusted to be out in the community, say at dog parks and things like that. Um, also environmental techniques we've been looking at are decompression rooms, um, which have been really successful for us. We have a canine decompression room as well as a, a feline decompression room. So we reserve those for animals that are just having more difficulty transferring into the shelter environment. And it just gives them additional time um, and space and in a quieter environment with extra attention to be able to make that adjustment better. And then we're also looking at um, you know, innovative measures, which I know a lot of places are doing as well, such as like a working cat program. Um, so our cats that aren't super suitable to being in a home environment, this is a an additional option for them to be placed in um, a home, but not your traditional home, like a garage or um, uh, a warehouse or something like that, where they still get food, shelter, you know, water and care, but they um, have an additional outlets that they are um, being utilized for and we've had a great success with that and then lastly um, something that we really have worked on is being a breed free organization with the goal of helping people find dogs whose personalities fit that adopters lifestyle rather than being dependent on breed stereotypes yeah those are you know I've never heard of a there's about half of the ones that you just listed that I've never heard of. And so you talk about innovative and, and thinking outside the box. I think you guys are definitely on the right track and probably ahead of the game, um, you know, compared to other organizations. So I think that's huge. And it is, I, I'm assuming that th that part of that is due to um, the new management, right? Some changes in the organization. And then also just getting that support from from the community. I can't imagine without their support that you'd be able to accomplish what you've accomplished in, in such a short amount of time. Definitely. There's, um, with the transition in leadership, there's just have been new opportunities and new viewpoints coming to be. And we've really been embracing how can we make the shelter environment the best possible environment and increase those animals' chances of adoption within our community and then also you know educating our community on all the things that we're doing because uh, we're not just there to serve the animals I mean that is our you know core goal but we're also here to serve our community too um, and so it's really looking at how to partner those two together so if we're you know serving the animals as meaning that we're delivering compassionate care and offering them, you know, comfortable and safe harbor until they can find a permanent and loving home. That's great. But then we also need that, that people, that community element too, because those are the homes that they're going into. And so then our commitment to our community means that we're providing these services necessary for them to be able to build their families, um, you know, through adoption or cultivating character development through humane education and fostering, which we were talking about before um, all of those things lead to this greater good through community outreach and this prevention of cruelty. So those two elements working in tandem is where we've really found this like sweet spot of being able to um, deliver upon our mission because these two forces are coming together. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And, and it's a pretty fascinating what you've, you know, what the organization in 
in whole has been able to do, but also what you've been able to do since joining them with the support of others around you. The other thing too I noticed for you guys that's different and I, I have never seen before is you guys actually have your own dog park. We do. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is actually, that belongs to the organization, right? And is there a membership? Can you tell us a little bit, maybe not the history so much, but how, how is it used? Sure. So the dog park is used as um, a benefit to the community, but then also, uh, you know, I'll just call it like an income generating revenue stream for us. <laughs> so people are able to buy memberships to our park and there is uh, different fees depending on how often you want to use the park. So if you're just kind of I'm going to say visiting in town, maybe you're here to visit family, you can buy a one time pass for ten dollars. Um, you can do a quarterly pass for $25 for one dog or $35 for two, or there is a yearly um, subscription if you'd like, and it's $75 for one dog and $85 for two dogs. And we we are the only um, membership dog park in our community, and we do require that everyone that signs up provide uh, proof of vaccines, so that way we can ensure that all the dogs that are there intermittent intermingling, you know, have the appropriate, um, protective health measures. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, again, another great community piece. I think you guys embrace the community and it sounds like they are definitely embracing you. Are there any challenges within the community that you see reoccurring, um, that maybe is a focus for you guys? Sure. That's a really good question. And we are open admissions for all of the, um, County. So for, we have three counties and five municipalities that we are their animal sheltering location. And so with our contracts with them, we are open admissions for um, all of those communities. Um, we are more of a managed admissions for um, owner surrenders. Um, that just helps us be able to keep our capacity for care um, within limits that we're able to make sure that we are able to meet as well as work with those owners to get the most information that we can regarding those animals to um, say successfully transition them to the shelter and then get them placed as soon as possible but with our contracts with our municipalities it is um, you know always a challenge because as being open admissions with them we just never quite know what animals are coming in when um so you know it's just a 24 hour seven day a week kind of deal dealing with all of the animals that come in through the open admissions and um you know not having that information or owner history medical history behavior anything on them um, is always an investment in every single animal and we really try to treat them all you know individually and make sure that they have a behavior assessment and um, we get to know them as well as we can to be as transparent with our community when they do go up for adoption. And, um, you know, I think another challenge with working with all of the different municipalities is just different, um, you know, ordinances within those municipalities. Um, you know, some are more engaged in, you know, breed specific legislation. Um, something that we would like to work for or towards is you know, having a more open um, dialogue around trap, neuter, return, um, things like that, which could all help us throughout the community be able to have a better understanding of animal welfare and um, provide better care overall for the animals that might be 
you know, like with the trap, neuter, return, they might be community animals, but giving them a better quality of life um, through that program versus them all getting live trapped and brought to the shelter and then potentially either, you know, euthanized or placed through a working cat program or through, you know, adoption um, so that there are other solutions out there that are manageable and um, well received yeah. in other communities um, that help keep animals out of the shelter system. Yeah, definitely. You guys have a, a wide reach, uh, as you mentioned, right? So I, I can imagine that in itself is, you know, as you mentioned, just a large, a large challenge and, and probably not one you're easily able to identify. Like something that might be specific is, so we do work in three counties through three different states and, um, you know, different counties or whatever have different mentalities, <clears throat> excuse me, on um, things and some of our states have better animal welfare laws than other ones do. So it's kind of finding how do we work with all of them. Um, and something that has been shared with me from one of our communities is that the um, population there still thinks if their animal is surrendered to the Humane Society or picked up as a stray and comes to the Humane Society, that they are going to ultimately be you know, killed or euthanized. Um, and so it's really working on that education piece to let people know that that's not where the humane, the Dubuque Regional Humane Society is at anymore um, with being no kill and all of these other efforts that we're doing. We're really trying to, you know, do our best to successfully place out 100% of the safe, treatable and healthy animals and reconnect animals with their owners, um, you know, as quickly yeah. as we can. So I think once we're able to uh, extend that reach of education around no-kill and what that means, um, then there won't be this stigma upon the Humane Society that animals that come there are just, you know, done for. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely an important piece. Education is always the first step. So I think you guys are, are doing amazing, uh, amazing work in that area. Um, is there anything that you guys are working on or anything that you have coming up where you could use the community's support? Is there any events coming up? Um, tell us a little bit about what you guys have planned for the future. Oh my goodness. Well, it's, it's uh, you know, the end of the year. So it's exciting to be wrapping up 2018 because I feel like we've accomplished so many wonderful things and I'm looking forward to 2019 and um, what things we can move forward and be more, you know, positive uh, about impact impact wise as well as creating um, more forward facing um, ties to our community in which we are really looking at the greater good for animals and animal welfare within our community. And so um, we have um, started and actually we're continuing, which I think is a really fun program is this um, it's like a kids and cats yoga program. Um, that's facilitated through our local Challenge to Change organization. And we used to offer this Humane um, Heroes program that was once a month on Saturdays um, in which youth could come to the um, Kinsey campus, which is our main campus, and be able to um, experience or partake in a, you know hour or two of humane education. And we were just finding that we didn't have a great um, curriculum for that. And so we explored different ways to engage our community um, in 
new ways. And so this, this kids with cats yoga program came up and we offered it twice in um, this fall. And we had just such a great response to it that we are really looking at how to implement it on a monthly basis um, through the school year uh, for 2019 um, to really fill that humane education piece because it's not just yoga um with cats the sure. the gal who is facilitating builds in all of these other humane education pieces with it which is just really awesome and as i said we've just had a great response to it so it's it's a new take on our our humane heroes which i just think is really fun um and a great way for us to kind of reinvent ourselves in the community a bit sure and then um you know we'll still be offering our um humane education piece through the summer through our kids and critters camp last year we opened up a vet camp as well um, just to give middle school students um, and this year we're looking at high school students as well um, an opportunity to kind of see how the inner workings of a veterinary clinic are and expose them to that as a potential career path um, so that is just another awesome opportunity that we are offering our youth and our community and the um, Curriculum for camp is also going to be based off of our after-school programming that we do, and we've been um, super fortunate to partner with a um, organization in town called Two by Two Character Development, and they do um, character development around um, animals. And I wish I could speak better to their uh, mission off the top of my head, uh, but they are just this um, organization of amazing uh, educators that use animals to treat care or use animals as, um, you know, like their methodology to learn about character development. Okay. And so we've been able to partner with them to help us um, create that curriculum and talk about like with our our one acronym that we use a lot is CARE. So that is, you know, compassion, um, accountability, respect, and excellence. So then we're able to utilize um, this character development curriculum to address those values through humane education. Wow. That, uh, that's definitely, those are some really, really cool programs that you guys have, um, again, for the community. And so can all this information be found on your website? How do people learn more about all of the different programs that you mentioned, when they start, how they can get involved? Where can they find that? Sure. So our um, website is dbqhumane.org. And there is a lot of that information on our current website. We are in the process of transitioning to a newer um, website that will have uh, much more information and be more engaging to um, our community and to, you know, visitors to the site to be able to find more accurate information. So our hope is to have that rolled out in early 2019. Another awesome step forward for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have so much going on and, and so much coming in 2019. I think I actually might join along and, and follow to see what is going on and, and what new innovative ways uh, you guys are pulling out of your sleeves uh, to better the animals and also the community. I think it's very cool. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you so much um, for yeah, presenting us with this opportunity to share all the things that are going on. And, you know, we're just really excited to be part of moving things forward in our community. And we have so much that we're learning from, um, you know, other organizations and animal welfare agencies that are doing such fabulous work out in other communities and other states and other regions. So it's really us all you know, 
networking together and learning what's successful and how we can um, really make positive advancements for uh, companion animals and animal welfare overall in our communities by, you know, joining together. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely love the, uh, you know, love the story. The history is amazing. And uh, I, I really look forward to to seeing what you guys do in 2019. And before we wrap things up, Laura, is there mm-hmm. anything else you want to share with the listening audience? Definitely. Well, I just did want to say that I know we are on, um, you know, the smaller side of the animal welfare organization, but we do provide um, critical medical care and behavioral interventions and compassionate care for over 2,500 animals annually that are lost, abandoned, surrendered um, by owners or rescued from neglect. And, you know, we have a save rate of 99% since the beginning of the year, which is just really phenomenal. And again, we can't, we can't achieve that without our community support. Um, So our community has just been, um, you know, overwhelming in not only providing cash gifts to directly fund the work, but in kind gifts of, um, you know, like copy paper, um, gently used towels and blankets to provide comfort for the animals and cleaning supplies so that we can make sure that, you know, everything is as clean as possible to help keep disease from spreading and all of those things. And then just really um, looking at how we've been re-engaging our community. They've been super receptive to us um, opening up our volunteer program and expanding our foster program to just really, again, be able to provide this um, exceptional quality of care for the animals that are at the DRHS. Yeah. Uh, again, I, you know, community is a is a huge piece of that. So I applaud you for what you're doing, you know, what you've done in the short amount of time you've been there and, and also what you're going to accomplish in 2019. So we really enjoyed having you on the show, Laura, and we wish you nothing but the best in the future. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed sharing everything with you and I hope we are able to speak again in the future to share more. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you're not already a member, join the ARPA to take advantage of all the resources we have to offer. And don't forget to sign up with dobert.com. It's free and helps automate the most difficult tasks in animal rescue.